Welcome into the 3304 Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Colby Aaron Bertram, joined alongside, of course, by Kyle Marshek. Uh, the first, uh, or not the first, but the spring semester is now officially underway. The first week is just about wrapped up here as we are recording this episode on a Thursday. Um, and we're actually going to be recording multiple here as we are looking to uh, give you some talk on the world of basketball, not only professional and college basketball, but then follow that with a quote unquote football episode, not only world football, but also the NFL, as we have a lot to talk about there. So with all that being said, to you look a little bit at the school side, Kyle, not only do, do I want to ask how you're doing, but on top of that, how's this first week been for you? It's been awesome. I mean, it's it's definitely a rush, uh, you know, as a freshman. I mean, I'm sure you remember back in the day. It's it's really exhilarating uh, coming back, especially for a second semester. Um, and so it, it's it's some weird stuff. But the big school life is definitely for me. I've been having a blast and uh, classes are definitely pounding on us right now. But that's all part of the grind. No, I mean, it was definitely exciting for that second semester when I came back, though I almost felt like you dated me a little bit. I mean, I'm not that old. <laughs> I'm only a junior year, but uh, I, I digress. It's all good, obviously. Um, but yeah, the, uh, we have a lot of fun stuff to talk about, a lot of exciting stuff to talk about. And though I know you and I are definitely going to be excited to talk about ACC and Virginia Tech uh, as there's been a little bit of an upswing. We do need to start on the pro side here a little bit um, just to be able to give you guys a little bit of a landscape. We don't, we haven't covered the pro NBA as much, but we are approaching, I believe it is the first or second week of March. I don't quite or not March, sorry, February. Um, it's just around like that all-star break. And just after will be the NBA uh, trade deadline uh, coming and going. And on top of that, um, we are already halfway through the season. So with that being said, uh, we have looked at the NBA rankings and uh, whatnot and what's kind of transpired through the year. So I want to really ask you, as we are going into the professional side of the basketball world, what's the biggest team surprises and disappointments uh, at the halfway point? Well, I mean, to start off the NBA season, the NBA announcing that they're going to stick with that COVID-esque system of playoff um, elimination or however you want to call it, what teams are seated, what teams have to fight for a playoff spot. Um, you know, that already kicked it off with me looking at a lot of teams that obviously felt comfortable hovering between the 10 to 7 seeds where they are going to go into elimination to earn that seven and eight seed into the playoffs. And then obviously uh, the teams that wanted to comfortably sit in those top six seeds. Um, I mean, the NBA already includes so many teams in the postseason because obviously a majority of them do make it um, 16 out of the 30. Um, so for them to expand it to 10 on both sides, making the postseason quote unquote, um, I think already reflects kind of the state of the NBA, just looking for any level of importance they could add to each team. I mean, for God's sake, we're looking at the Western conference and the 10 seed team uh, currently a squad that could make the postseason is the trailblazers at 18 and 26. Um, maybe that's their effort to include Damian Lillard in the postseason, whatever it might be. <laughs> Same on the opposite side, you got the Raptors, couple of athletes that you would really want to make the postseason um, who certainly haven't earned it sitting at 21 and 21. So that's more of a favorable team. Anyways, to your main point, um, 
Let's start with the Eastern Conference. I think the number one seed Bulls was one of my favorite surprises. And right under them, the Heat. I mean, if you just look at the lineup, you have to imagine 76ers, Bucks, and Nets all at 3-4-5 was not what I expected. I would expect those teams to be in that 1-2-3 area. And then, of course, the team sneaking into the top six seeds, the Cavaliers, I'm impressed by that as well. So clearly a lot of young talent by the Cavs. And then for the Western side, um, you know, I'm not really surprised by the Grizzlies making big moves. I saw potential in John Morant for a while now, and it's clearly shown through. Otherwise, Warriors' sons at the top make sense to me. Um, I don't know about you, Cole Bjorn, but the Lakers are absolutely atrocious right now. They're at the eighth <laughs> spot. They're 22 and 23. They have been abysmal, and, you know, they're risking not making the postseason at this point, let alone getting that top six seed. They've been hovering around seven. They just dropped to eighth last night. So that's one of my biggest disappointments so far as a Camarlo An- or Carmelo Anthony fan. No, absolutely. The Lakers uh, being at eight is definitely highly disappointing, particularly when you're on a team with, uh, you know, LeBron James and on top of that, Russell Westbrook. Um I think part of that, though, as we can attest, is the fact that AD has been injured and Russ has played, I I believe, this season nowhere close to even what he was doing in Washington uh, when he was kind of getting back in form there. So it it just feels like that team's a bit of a mess. So definitely, I would agree with you that they're one of the bigger disappointments, the fact that they're struggling again. But I also do note the fact that they were around this seed last year uh, and I believe AD also missed time last year. So really without that big one-two of uh, AD and LeBron, this team does start to struggle, which kind of does make sense. When LeBron originally joined the Lakers, they didn't make the playoffs because uh, LeBron tried to, have to carry them through everything, and he couldn't do that. Um, beyond that, I'm absolutely with you. The Chicago Bulls are a great team, and honestly, they're a team that – it's, it's kind of hard to find flaws if you look at them. DeMar DeRozan and Zach Levine are, like, absolutely incredible. The fact that they're both uh, right now kind of averaging about 51 a night between them is insane. Um, and then you still even have Vuce, uh, Vucevic and Lonzo Ball also uh, putting up double-digit points. Uh, Lonzo Ball having a really good time in Chicago, though granted he just had an injury. But that's not even that big of a deal for them because Kobe White even coming off their bench is doing really well. So Chicago, I thought they would be a good team this year. I certainly thought they'd be a team to make the playoffs. But this good, it is definitely surprising to me. And honestly, I kind of love to see it. It's, it's cool to have the Bulls kind of back there up top and uh, being able to kind of uh, push for finishing as the number one. But then even on top of that, being ahead of Milwaukee, who is – I'm not going to say struggle because they're still like at a good spot in the East. You know, they win a couple more games and a couple teams lose above them. They're right back up to second, but not exactly where you'd expect them to be. Um, beyond that though, I, I would agree with you. I think Memphis is probably my other like big surprise team, quote unquote, in a positive light. Uh, love John Morant. Um, I think he's an incredible player and the team is also performing well around him, um, including the likes of Desmond Bain, someone who I don't think I've really heard of until this year. In fact, even now. So, yeah, I mean, those are some of your good surprises with really your bad surprises being L.A. And then I would probably say Atlanta and New York. But granted, Atlanta's had some injury issues. I don't know about New York, though. And that is a bit disappointing that New York a team is kind of loaded. And I'm not going to say loaded. I think that's a little bit too strong with as talented as they are. Um, the fact that they are not up there is kind of concerning, maybe because Kemba's been having to miss some time. 
I know when they had Kemba up, they were uh, towards the top of the East, but still you guys have D Rose and uh, Alex Burks and Fournier and Quentin Grimes. Like you have other good guards, you can use them. So, um, but even with that in mind though, uh, the really the biggest thing, which is what I led this uh, segment off with was the fact that we are approaching trade deadline and some of these teams that have been disappointing um, might be looking to make moves. Um, and teams that may even be in good spots might have to uh, give up players or anything along those lines. So when you're looking at the trade deadline um, in this sense, what are you thinking are some not only teams to watch, but maybe even more importantly, players to watch? I mean, you know, I think it starts by looking at those uh, lower level teams that are big market squads, teams that could really use um, gaining an extra guy, maybe trying to make some big changes. For me, on the east side of things, the the team that I think stands out the most, um, Dennis Schroeder's been thrown around a lot, and he's a high-level talent guy. I think the Celtics are going to be one of the biggest traders, um, being a lower seed right now. Um, and again, a big market squad. They could eat up any contract they want. And in an incredibly competitive conference, the Eastern Conference, I mean, the lowest 500 level team is the Raptors at the 10 spot, you know. So technically, you got teams fighting to make it into the postseason, uh, you know, at that 500 mark. And, you know, they're below the 10, the 10 seed spot, you know. So, again, my main point, how competitive this conference is, I think on the Eastern side of things, uh, a guy like Dennis Schroeder could be thrown out, uh, thrown around again as he was this past offseason. Um, because of the lower level squad he's on, considering them being a big market team, those are the teams that could do that. Um, small market teams, you might see uh, make some small trades. I think the Cavs might look for a little boost to ensure a higher seed. But although, you know, I think they've been really, really well managed so far. Same thing with the 76ers. They might make some uh, bench moves, try and get some additives. But for the most part, I think the Celtics will be the biggest one to watch. On the Western side of things, um, there's a whole bunch of teams, a whole slew of teams that try and make changes um but i think the, the number one team that's looking to make some serious changes they've competed with other good teams and you know for the most part they haven't competed at all the trailblazers um you know they just picked up a win against the washington wizards which is that sixth seed on the east side of things that's a that's a really solid win um and they have some young talent that they could try and get rid of i think robert covington has some high value if they try and look for another guard or maybe you know another forward and replacement someone that can come in and make a big change for them uh, Nasir Little's really talented, or maybe they do try and uh, get rid of one of their big names, Anthony, uh, Anthony Simons, uh, you know, Yosef Nurkic. Those are two guys right there that have been high scores and really big talents for them. Um, and while they're waiting for Lillard to get back in the court and do things for them, uh, they, they might look and try and get rid of some big talent to get that extra boost to make sure they make the postseason. <laughs> Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, those are definitely some good teams there, and I'll even reiterate some of those points, but I will reiterate one of those points for a different, uh, for a slightly different reason. I remember ESPN talking about this. Is the fact with the Celtics, um, they were bringing up the question whether um, Brown and Tatum can, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum can really coexist on the same team and be able to give Boston the results that they need to, you know, be at the spot that they expect themselves to be. And uh, I, I believe what they they changed their new coach this year as well. So maybe there's a little bit of issues there, but um, I think that is a genuinely good question here. And I think that Jason Tatum, uh, at least in my opinion, will be more the franchise player than Jalen Brown if they do have to move someone. And, you know, they could go and look for something just different to spice up the team and maybe going and getting like 
a true, uh, like really talented power forward or something. Um, cause right now they have Alf Orford as center and everything, but like their power forward, if they'd be playing one, uh, is like Grant Williams. I think they're a little bit small right now. So they might try to add a little bit of height or something. I, maybe they play Tatum. I actually, I think they play Tatum at the four when Brown's in, but I digress. So Boston's definitely a team because, uh, it is a franchise that is not willing to be content, uh, they are willing to uh, do moves no matter how crazy if they think that it will uh, fix their franchise for the future and keep them contending. Uh, otherwise, the 76ers is for Ben Simmons. Um, talked about it a lot over the summer, and there's still personal issues and just really doesn't feel like there's any way to fix a relationship between Simmons and Philadelphia, which, I mean, as I've discussed prior, it's probably for the best. And I think that Simmons will probably be looking for a move, um, possibly to a team like the Trailblazers, one of those teams that could be a buyer right now and have been linked to Simmons for a long time. Um, I've also linked another a link, another team in the East. I would also say the Pacers. They might be go. They might need to go in full rebuild mode now, um, just due to the fact that they still have Sabonis uh, and Turner and Brogdon, and it's just not working out. Uh, I don't think I don't know if Brogdon's injured or not. Again, he has limited games on his uh, stash sheet and everything, but uh, they've listed like Levert as someone that they might move. Um, I just have felt for a bit that Turner and Brock or Turner and Sabanis really couldn't fit it like like both of them on the same team. Um, and you really get the results that you need. Um and, and yeah, I mean this this is a team that I genuinely could see imploding um to start making moves not only for this offseason but for future offseasons. And then otherwise, just a few quick teams here in the West. Uh I think the team that I probably highlight the most, I think I'm with you with the trailblazers. They're definitely not at a spot with, um, uh, with the Lillard and McCollum, I believe. So there I just, I'm double checking. Cause I know there's rumors for them. Yeah. So they're not at a spot with Lillard and McCollum that they would expect themselves to be though. Granted, it looks like Lillard's been out for a bit as Nolan Powell is listed as their leading scorer. Um, and they might be looking for some moves just to make sure that they can actually make a push for the playoffs and actually get to be at a stronger place. Otherwise, in the West, I would actually note that OKC might also be a possibility. They do have a tremendous amount of first-round picks, and there are some players that are getting tossed up there that local Oklahoma could push one of their later first-round picks to go get one of those players or maybe some second-round picks. And then another team that I'd probably throw in there um, – I'm going to throw in the Lakers. I think the Lakers will probably just have some talks. I don't know if they'll actually do anything here on the, at the trade deadline, but they're definitely going to have some talks about um, players that they could possibly move on from and try to strengthen this team somehow to where they can push higher up and not have to fight into the Western uh, Conference playoffs like they had to last year. Yeah, I mean, it, it makes a lot of sense. And, you know, I love the take with the Lakers. I think that's one team I missed right there. Um, obviously, all the talk about the GM and what he'll do. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, it is a, a true statement, though. LeBron makes moves. And by LeBron, I mean the Lakers. Uh, he tends to, whether it's him or his GM or his uh, bias, uh, move some pieces. You know, I, I've already seen memes about Rajan Rondo getting out of here. Um 
you know, and, and what the heck they're going to do when they get AD back on the court. There's a lot of talk about whether or not the Lakers are a different team with AD on the court. Um, it's just too tough to tell. I mean, AD has been too inconsistent on staying on the court. And I think that has to play with the inconsistency of the team. So it's too early to tell Um, that's a team to look forward to in the future. But for now, I agree. I think that's another team you have to look out for to make some big changes uh, coming into this latter half of the season. Absolutely. And we're definitely going to be excited to have any big news and any big trades that will happen in the NBA. We'll definitely we'll talk about those and give a little bit of our takes. But that's really mostly everything on the NBA. Um, definitely a little bit of surprise uh, at a lot of places. Not so, some teams at places that I wouldn't have expected. But you know what? That makes for an exciting season for me. And from what I know, uh, I don't remember if I mentioned it here on the podcast, but the teams that I adopted um, for the season – they're, they're doing all right. I mean, it's actually kind of a mixed bag here because I don't know if you know this, but I adopted kind of three teams that I'd be rooting for a bit, which is the Wizards, uh, you know, because they're local. And then I picked the Pelicans and the Suns. So the Pelicans, not in the playoffs, no Zion. Uh, Wizards, kind of weird, and they need to invest in Bradley Beal or they're going to lose him. And then Phoenix is the best team in the league. So a little bit of a mixed bag there. Find out a little bit interesting. Yeah, Phoenix is definitely a good pick. I think out of all the squads, other than the Warriors, I think Phoenix was probably one of the most predictable teams for this season. I think you just kind of saw their trajectory for a while. I mean, they're on a four-game winning streak right mm-hmm. now, and they've only had nine losses on the season. So outside of the Warriors, I think that's a pretty good pick, Coldhorn. Yeah, I definitely love those teams, uh, and hopefully I'll be able to actually have an NBA team uh, after the season. I guess we'll see. Um, but, yeah, so it's cool to see. Excited for the playoffs. And we'll give you more information on the NBA as it comes, uh, like any big news. But how about we now move into the world of college basketball, uh, something that I grew up loving and something that we definitely love to talk about here as we talked about, you know, we talked about Virginia Tech and we've talked about other things, including the Big 12 and its dominance. Um, But even to start with uh, the Big 12 here, there's been a little bit of a struggle recently from former number one seed Baylor as they've lost, uh, I believe, their last two in a row. If not, they've lost two of like their last, like very recent games, like two of their last three. And as I said, their former number one seed, they are now lost their spot to Auburn. Auburn is now the number one seed. I don't know if they've ever been the number one seed. Um, And my question here is kind of what's happened to the Baylor bears. Yeah. I don't know enough about this system of offense that they run, but just looking at their most recent loss, their two, uh, their one, two have combined for eight points, uh, Flagler and Aquino, five points and three points respectively. You know, there's clearly a lack of offensive identity, um, you know, and a lot of big 12 squads have clearly made changes to kind of uh, play against the defense that Baylor has. Um, and so there, there's a lot of different changes they have to make, but I think it starts with those two guards having to start producing offensively because they're not moving the ball and they're definitely not shooting it well either. Yeah, I mean, they're certainly struggling. I know because I actually uh, saw an ESPN article on this. So I like I wanted to like at least skim through it a little bit to get uh, a bit of a, a, even more of a sense. And uh, apparently they have been dealing with a little bit of injury issues. Um, I uh, So I think that's a little bit of a problem. But on top of that, one of the things that, I even kind of expected going into this big 12 season is the fact that 
with this like complete new, like not fully new, but like a very much drastic change to their personnel from last year to this year, um, losing their top three guard. I believe they lost all three of their guards, which all were like the leading scores on the team and like the, the, the actual foundation of it. Um, it, it was going to start to hurt at some point. And as we're getting into closer to the middle of like these conference seasons here, um, I, I think that hurts starting to show a little bit and, uh, you know, you saw it against Texas tech and I'm trying to remember the other team you saw it against, but like they struggled against TCU. Um, they lost against Oklahoma state, one of Okie states, I believe two wins in the big 12. So that's kind of where the struggle has been coming from. Um, I, I think it's just finally that um, these younger players that were recruited though, they are talented and though they will, most likely live up to their expectations right now. It's just a little bit of a struggle for them and they're going to have to get themselves out of this rut. Um, watching basketball teams will get in ruts like this. Uh, even the best I've had to deal with that with Kansas plenty of times. So they're just in a rut right now and they'll have to dig themselves out. But another part of it in which we talked about um, last time we talked about college basketball is just how good the big 12 is. That's, that's another part of it. You just can't account, or I mean, you, you can't say enough, I think, how good the Big 12 is in basketball. And this isn't really a question here. Uh, most of the time when I'm uh, fourth wall break, most of the times as I, as I actually prepare these uh, like episodes and questions or whatnot, I try, or episodes, I try to have questions uh, that we can talk about and have interesting questions. There's no question to me for this. We talked about it last week. Big 12 was our unanimous best conference in college basketball. But literally look at the difference between the last time we talked about this, which I believe was Monday or Tuesday of last week, and now. And we were saying that Kansas State and TCU were possibly a little bit of struggles and maybe teams that we weren't looking at the playoffs. But now they have two wins, and Kansas State, I mean, when you even, uh, uh, like, lift the veil a little bit, they have, like, just struggled to close out some games, like, against Texas and TCU and West Virginia, almost beating them in Morgantown. So the Big 12 is just a dominant conference, which is part of the reason why Baylor is going to start to struggle here. They might drop some a couple other surprising games. Um, I don't think Baylor is going to win the Big 12 now. And I think that uh, my eyes have been lifted, uh, the veil has been lifted from my eyes a little bit, that this team is going to struggle a little bit. Not that Baylor is going to be bad, and not that Baylor is not going to make the NCAA tournament. They are. They're an incredible team. But you have to understand the fact that this is not the same Baylor as it was last year, though it is still a strong team. Yeah, I mean, I think all those observations are correct. And like you said, it's not a question. It's an observation. I think at this point, it's obvious to everyone that the Big 12 is the strongest conference in basketball. And uh, that doesn't help Baylor's case at all. Like you said, there's going to be more games that they're definitely going to drop in such in being such a in such a competitive conference. I mean, again, like if we look at it big picture, a couple podcasts ago, we ranked our top five um uh, conferences and you know if there if it were a power six like I said Big East would be in the talks and Big East is what I'm reminded of when I think about the Big 12 not just back in the day but even currently they only have one losing team in the Big East right now and again it's another conference that's incredibly strong um, just at a lower scale and so just to make that uh, you know kind of cross comparison uh, just taking a look back and currently at a at a Big East conference you peek at the Big 12 and it is just dominant all the way through. I mean, you and I have made some really 
generous observations for the Big 12. But after this past couple of weeks, I think it's evident now, Cole Bjorn, that maybe every single team in the Big 12 has a serious case for making the NCAA tournament. I mean, Oklahoma, uh, Oklahoma State, uh, you know, is at middle of the pack and they just got a huge win over Baylor. You know, so mm-hmm. now that's going to be ranked. A majority of the teams in the Big 12 are ranked, um, not to mention the bottom feeder right now is Kansas State. And they just got a big win. They're 10 and seven overall, and they're two and four in the conference at the bottom of it. And they still have a very solid case of making the NCAA tournament. So this is quite possibly the strongest college basketball conference I've ever seen. Yeah, I mean, it's an incredible conference. And I was actually ironically going to bring up Oklahoma State and Kansas State. Um, just a little bit of their records to even give you an idea. So as you said, I love the comparison with not only the Big East and the Big East in its glory days, um, but really comparing with the fact that the Big 12 doesn't have a losing team. And I wanted to go to what is technically speaking the quote-unquote worst team in the Big 12, and that's Kansas State. Um, and I want to look at some of their losses. Um, so earlier on, when they started off the season, they lost to Arkansas by uh, eight, and then they lost to Illinois by eight. Uh, I believe both of those were on neutral sites for a tournament, but still, those are two teams that Arkansas is not ranked now, I believe, but Illinois is. And these were both ranked teams at the time, and Kansas State did not lose them by much. Marquette, a team that's very impressive to me, a team that I really like in the Big East, a team that might possibly challenge to win the Big East in the first year with uh, Shaka Smart leading the charge. They lost to him by one. Oklahoma at Oklahoma lost to him by two. Texas, they had the lead, and then they absolutely blew it in the second half. West Virginia, as I said, in Morgantown, they lost by three. And Morgantown is a hard place to play. It's one of the hardest places. Uh, if, if you're a Big 12 fan, you'll know that Morgantown is one of the worst places to play basketball. Not because it's, you know, a bad place, but because it is, it's like, uh, it's a hard pl- place to win. Not quite Allen Fieldhouse, but it's it's up there. I, I would give it that. And then TCU, they lost by three to them. So all these losses for Kansas State at the like bottom of the barrel in the Big 12, most of them are not only close, but some of them like they like even led like in Texas and competing with teams that are ranked. So the worst team in the Big 12 is competing with ranked teams and competing with them very well. And then Oklahoma State, as you mentioned, you can kind of have the same points. They beat Baylor. Um, if you look at some of their other games, they lost in Morgantown by 10. Uh, they lost to Houston by 11, which is like better. Uh, I think is a better loss than what UVA had. I believe UVA lost by like 20 to them. And uh, UVA is one of the better teams in the AZC. They lost to Xavier by six. So one of the teams that, um, yeah, they were in the tournament with, uh, with Virginia Tech. I think we had to play them as well. Yeah. And then Xavier smoked us so, because they got 30 from that one guy. But still, they're competitive with teams out of conference and they're competitive in conference, including nabbing wins off of ranked teams in conference. And you still have a team like Iowa state that is ranked number 15 in the nation who is tied with Oklahoma and Kansas state for the worst conference record. So this conference is insane. Um, I did not expect to be saying that there is a possibility that they could all make the tournament. And I don't want to sound like a Homer saying that, you know, growing up, uh, a big 12 guy, but that's where I'm at, man. Like th- this conference could legitimately have every team make it. I think the teams that we mentioned like Oklahoma state, TCU, Kansas state would still be the teams that I'd be worried about missing because uh, they're not as big name. Pro- I mean, Kansas state's bigger name, but at least Okie state and TCU are not consistently like big names in the big 12, but 
at this rate, I mean, they, they gotta be making it in. I, I can't give a case for even like, I, I, like I can't even make a case for like a Notre Dame to get in over any of them in all honesty. So I, I think that our, not only our point from a week ago stands that the worst team in the big 12 would be better than middle teams in most other conferences but the fact that this conference is so strong that it could possibly field all 10 teams into the tournament is incredible, to say the least. Absolutely. And, and I, again, I think that's probably something we should look forward to uh, on our next podcast mm-hmm. is maybe looking at Lenardi's um, bracketology and seeing where all these teams place, uh, assuming that they all make the NCAA tournament. Um, you know, again, that's, that's what I'm curious about. Where is he going to place a team like Oklahoma or Kansas state, which I think are the only two teams that have a case for not making the tournament. Mind you, if I'm making the bracket at this very moment, I have every single big 12 team in the NCAA tournament. Um, so again, I'm, I'm incredibly curious and we could be seeing a record breaking season here with an entire conference making the NCAA tournament. Yeah. I mean, I'd be hard pressed to disagree, um, but to, to, to lessen a little bit of the love here from the big 12 um, though, you know, I would love to continue to rave about the conference. We will mention it, but we do want to have a, uh, I, I want to have a little bit of a case of as we're looking at conferences right now, that's uh, the uh, power five conferences who we would currently have as the number one team, you know, winning the conference at regular season uh, for each and every single of one of those power five. Now we will leave off the ACC. I think just because we're going to be talking about the ACC throughout all the weeks. So we'll just focus on big 12, big 10, pac 12 and sec. And I think that we should go, should we start with the alphabetical order, Big Ten or Big Twelve? Well, let's just go Big Twelve. I think we're sticking All with right. that one. Right. So, I mean, we're we're talking about how dominant Baylor's been despite recent losses. Kansas and Texas Tech both have big wins. I'm going to go with the sneaker here. Texas Tech, I think, coming off a huge win against Baylor, and they've been incredibly competitive all year long. 14-4 and four overall, 4-2, and two, so third spot in the Big 12. Again, really competitive conference. Um, and with that being said, I think of the top four teams, I guess you could say you could argue for ending up on top, Texas Tech is my best shot for it right now. And then we move to the Big 10. Uh, we got Wisconsin, Illinois, Michigan State, Ohio State, and Rutgers, all the top five. This is another really competitive conference up until you get to that bottom six. Um, and there's a bunch of teams that have a serious case for it. Um, right now, I like the talent in Illinois. They're six and one, so they're tied for first right now with Wisconsin. They have some big wins in the season so far. I mean, they're coming off a big win over Michigan. Uh, they competed well against Nebraska, Minnesota. They've had a stacked, uh, you know, season so far. You know, every team they face is competitive in some manner. Um, and they've pulled through. So that they've been really impressive. So we're moving from Big 12, Big 10. What's the next one, Colby, going to remind me? Pac-12. Uh, yeah, Pac-12, there you go. Yeah, and this one's really competitive, too. I think you and I both mentioned uh, kind of the name brand effect that it has in the committee. Uh, we were mentioning that with Big 12 teams, how like Kansas State being more of a bigger name um, might squeak in uh, with that help being at the bottom of the Big 12, and I think that that happens to affect a lot of the cases of the teams here. Um, doesn't help the case of a team that I think has been underratedly performing well in the Pac-12, like Colorado. And there's other teams that could sneak up. Stanford has shown a lot of talent. Oregon, too. Um, again, I, I was saying 
watch out for Washington and look at them now that they're now they're at the middle of the Pac-12, eight and seven on the season. And they're, you know, kind of knocking on the door of the bubble. Um, But let's get back to the main topic. You know, it's really between USC, UCLA and Arizona. Mm -hmm. I'm going to stick with Arizona right now. They're undefeated in the conference, and I just don't see them losing a ton of games here on out. And that leaves me with the SEC on the way out. Again, really competitive conference, but it's kind of top heavy. It's either Mississippi State, Texas A&M, Kentucky or Auburn. And the Blue Bloods always seem to pull through for me. I'm going to stick with Kentucky to cap off the four power five conferences and what teams I think will top out. Yeah, I mean, those are all pretty strong picks. And I do respect the Texas Tech pick. Um, I mean, I, I will say this a little bit of uh, for some Big 12 knowledge. I know there's been a lot of times, particularly when Kansas had the uh, – or broke the streak for the most conference wins in a row that there were a few of those years that uh, it was a tie for the win of the conference. Now I'm not going to be, you know, saying that, Oh, it's going to happen, but I will say for that, like, I'm not, I'm not going to predict and say like, Oh, that Baylor and Kansas and let's say like West Virginia are all going to tie and win the conference because I, I, that's just obscene. I will give you one team, but I will say that of these years, um, particularly as, you know, my being able to more and more pay attention and more and more appreciate um, the basketball and particularly college basketball. I think that this could be a year where you can see a tie at the top. Um, there's just a lot of really strong teams and I can see some of the strong teams uh, picking wins off each other. And obviously I can see lesser teams picking off wins from, uh, from them as well with Oklahoma state doing it to Baylor. You could have more of those. So in my opinion, when you're looking at this conference, you're really looking at that top three, I believe. I don't think Oklahoma State can break that and really kick into the top three. So I think you're looking at Baylor, Texas Tech, and Kansas uh, as like the, your three runners for who should, who will most likely win. I'm going to go with Kansas. It's not even a homer decision. It is due to the fact that Jalen Wilson starting to get on form. Uh, David McCormick, I think, has got a, a little bit um, more – determination after getting benched for Mitch Lightfoot uh, for a bit. I think he might still be getting benched for Mitch Lightfoot, but I don't remember. And they are now getting Remy Martin back from, uh, I think, a little bit of an injury that he had. And he was one of the highest rated transfers, and he's been pretty good when he has played for the Jayhawks. So I think Kansas, who are currently leading the Big 12, uh, finishing off at the top would not be a surprise. Um, For the Big 10, I, I could see the Sparties making a charge back up, um, but I'm not going to go with the Sparties. I'm actually going to be going with the Wisconsin Badgers. Uh, honestly, this was the biggest reason why I made this segment. I'm, I'm not going to lie. Like, I am a huge fan of this Wisconsin Badgers basketball team. And I'm a huge fan of John Davis. Uh, I think they've got a really, really, really strong team there uh, 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 up in uh, Wisconsin, I believe, what, Madison. I, I don't want to get it wrong, but – you know, I, I digress. This is an incredible team. They're already leading the conference. And if you look at their schedule, it's not been an easy schedule. Wisconsin has, uh, you know, been beating some good teams. They beat Ohio state by 10. They beat Purdue. Uh, they were the first team to beat Purdue. Uh, they were competitive with Ohio state. Originally the only team that has actually beat them currently uh, in conference. And then on top of that, they were competitive with Providence only losing to them by five, but that's amongst uh, having a strong win against Marquette and uh, uh, wins against like other conferences like Georgia Tech, a huge win against Houston. Houston's been a very strong team this year. Um, this is just a really good Wisconsin Badgers team, and I think that their schedule is spaced out well enough that they are going to be able to finish out on top. And they're definitely one of my favorites here to finish high for 
the NCAA tournament. I really, really like them right now. Uh, as I move forward into the Pac-12, I'm still going to stick with my Bruins, um, you know, retaining most of their core from last year. It's still a really strong team. I personally cannot say that I doubt them yet. Um, they, they're only lost being to Oregon by three, uh, which has currently put them behind in the conference. But, you know, they still have yet to play Arizona, and they will. They still have yet to play USC. So technically speaking, there is a huge test for them but I believe that they can pull it off. They're a really strong team. They proved it last year. I think they can prove it again. Um, and then in the last conference, we are looking at the SEC. SEC is a little bit rough because I feel like there's like a lot of tussle. Uh, we talked about it last time when we were ranking these conferences. There's a lot of tussle here in the middle of the SEC with Mississippi State probably being the biggest surprise. Um, at this rate, I remember we talked about last week that Auburn did not have a crazy like schedule thus far. And they really haven't. The only two teams in the SEC they've put, that they've played that are very impressive are uh, Alabama and LSU. And then they did get pretty convincing. They get, did get a convincing win against LSU, but not against Bama. Uh, they do have a huge test in uh, Calipari's Kentucky coming up. Um, that will definitely be a uh, game to watch out for. <laughs> I'm hard-pressed to disagree with you in saying Kentucky. But I'm actually, hmm, this one's a bit harder. So I'm going to actually say that, you know what? I'll give it to Cal Perry. I think Cal Perry will get it back. I think Kentucky will finish on top. Um, I was honestly debating a very out of left field answer and going with the Texas A&M Aggies because they've been doing very, very well uh, with uh, Jackson and Williams and Coleman. Like they, they have a really good, uh, strong, like, four for scores, but I'm not going to go with Aggies. I'm going to go ahead and go with the Wildcats just like you. So we do have some differences there, but I mean, ultimately, you know, it's teams that aren't like making crazy jumps, which I don't think is that surprising, but I mean, I like where we're going with that. Yeah. I mean, there really is no wrong answer with any of the, you know, and that includes the ACC, which we'll go into in a sec. Um, but really with the four conferences we just mentioned, the similarity between those four as compared to the ACC is that those four conferences are incredibly competitive. Mm-hmm. Obviously, like I said, we'll go into the ACC in just a second, Cole Bjorn, and you and I will both kind of very obviously state that it's competitive, but only to a certain extent. You know, the top six is competitive and then, you know, the middle portion is competitive. But as a conference as a whole, um, not a very competitive conference. So. Uh, you yeah. really can't go wrong with the majority of those those conferences that we just listed, though. No, I agree, and I think definitely think that the teams that we're thinking about are certainly going to finish towards the top. Uh, obviously, it'd be highly surprising if they didn't. But with that being said, as you said, we are going to be moving into the ACC here as we are uh, about at the biggest part of the episode, of course, as the listeners will know, the ACC power ranking. Um, but with that being said, right before we do have that power ranking, uh, two teams in the ACC have actually just started to catch a little bit of fire in uh, Florida State and Virginia Tech, both teams that were lower in our power rankings and were struggling and we were very concerned by. Uh, really, the question I have for you is, are these teams really finding their respective forms? 
I'm going to start with Florida State and simply put, yes. I mean, they have big wins against all the top teams in the conferences. They're coming off a big win against Duke. And they they have five games in a row right now. Their offense has been awesome, and their defense is even stronger. They're a real lockdown team. Um, and they just shoot it well from the field. Very efficient squad. Florida State, I expect to end up near the top of the conference. Um, I think where they are right now is very well where, where they're going to stay for the rest of the season. As for VT, two games in a row now, the you know first two wins they have in the conference, they're middle of the pack in the ACC. It's tough to tell with a squad like this. I mean, they're under a team in Syracuse that's 9-9 nine and nine on the season, and they've completely lacked an identity defensively and offensively. And I think it's too similar to uh, uh, Syracuse, VT's problem. Uh, they simply lack an identity offensively. I mean, they're coming off a really tight win against NC State. And that doesn't say much because NC State is 9-10 and 10 in the season. Um, with that being said, two wins in a row is huge. And uh, climbing up towards the middle of the ACC is going to be big for them down the road, especially with a 10-7 and 7 record overall. I think they're a bubble squad, but do I think they're a true NCAA tournament team so far? Not yet. And I can't say for sure that they found their groove either. Again, they've had point guard troubles for a while now. Uh, Storm Murphy has really struggled to both distribute and score the ball. Um, but they really have not found their rhythm offensively yet, and I still think they lack that identity. So for VT, I'm not sure for the Hokies just yet. Yeah, I mean, starting off with FSU, uh, they have definitely uh, won over my confidence. Uh, as you said, they have a big win against, like, uh, a, a majority of, like, those top teams. Uh, Duke, they beat them uh, this past week. Uh, Miami, they also beat them, though granted both wins four by one. Um, and then Louisville, they beat them by nine. And then I, they have not played UNC yet, but that is the one of the top teams that they have yet to play. But that's really it. I mean, otherwise, they've they've been competing with the teams at the top. If you're looking at their ACC losses, they had an embarrassing loss to Wake Forest, really that only other team at the top that has beat them. And then they had a three-point loss at home to Syracuse, definitely not one that uh, they will be happy about and would want to have back. But, yeah, this is a really strong team. They have won seven of their last eight games. And they do have a very interesting away stretch coming up with Miami and Georgia Tech, uh, though Georgia Tech sure at the bottom of the conference. Um, but yeah, I'm, they're a good team. They're right back in form. And I trust that uh, Hamilton will keep this squad um, cruising. For Virginia Tech, I, I kind of agree with you in the fact that I don't think that they're really back back yet. I need to, like, like here's my thing. I will say for Virginia Tech that I have, Full confidence in this team. Like, I, 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 my confidence is growing, but I will have full confidence if we can get through the UNC game. And that is a hard ask. That is me saying that we need to have three away wins in a row. But if you look at our schedule after that, you have Miami and FSU. And I would not expect that Virginia Tech is going to win both of those games as well. So you at least need to have this four game cushion to where then you can at least have take one of those losses and then go and get the other game, in my opinion. But with that being said, um, this team, th th there's still a little bit of concerns. Part of my, uh, like, like I I would have loved to have recorded this at the beginning of the week, and I would have loved to have heaped praise on the Himalayan. I'm actually, I'm not going to be negative or anything based off the last game, but I saw the game against Notre Dame, and the Himalayan was having great shot selection. He was looking really good out there, and I loved his game. Um, but I feel like this team is starting to just get a little bit better. I mean, I just feel like there's still like some struggles and like some poor choices. Like, I feel like, again, I'll just be brief on this, but when you're taking 14 shots in one night, I just think that's a little bit too much.
personally, particularly when you have a team that is well-rounded in scores. Um, and if you're in with storm, if like you're two of eight and one of six from, if you're one of six from three, you're cold from three, you've got to move the ball. You got to find someone who's not going to be as cold. So, I mean, yeah, I think that those two points like there alone, when you're looking at the NC state, win. um, uh, at, at NC State, I think that is definitely a bit concerning still. But um, I mean, that that's where last year we would have some of those struggles and we'd be able to pull off wins. And we haven't been able to have that type of luck this year. Um, but granted, that was able to happen that game, which is a bit of a positive, also away from home. And I think the bigger positive of the two games for Virginia Tech, the one that did impress me the most, was the Notre Dame win. Justin Mutz was strong. Naheem Aline was strong. They're both honestly incredible. Uh, Kevin Kevin Aluma also had a strong game. Storm Murphy had a good game, uh, though he only shot from outside against Notre Dame. That's something I actually did not know. Um, I, I, I could have sworn he took a shot inside, but I digress. This is a team that fought back against Notre Dame, um, and they were down by as much as 12 at one point in the game, and they completely fought back in the second half to not only win, but to win by six and win – uh, comfortable. I'm going to say kind of comfortably because it felt like Notre Dame didn't really have anything in the second half. And that to me itself is a sign of positivity. That's why I'm saying that my confidence is growing, but get me past UNC with two more wins against Boston college and UNC. And then I'll say, you know what? I, I'm kind of back on board here, but I need those wins and I need this team to look good definitely they need to look good throughout this four game stretch coming up with Boston college, UNC, Miami, and FSU. And if they can do that, not only do they have a relatively easy schedule the rest of the way in the ACC, but then I think they've won back the confidence of not only uh, analysts, I would say, but also the fan base and also get neutrals a little bit squeamish to play them because Virginia tech would have got their form back. Absolutely. I mean, again, it, it's kind of that's why we split it up in sections. There's certain teams that, you know, kind of have to be gimmies at this point and some that aren't. Um, again, it's early in the ACC play right now. And the fact that VT and Boston College are tied, I don't think is reflective of who these teams really are. I mean, for God's sake, Clemson's been an NCAA tournament uh, team for years now. Um, and they're near the bottom of the conference next to teams like Pittsburgh and NC State. Uh, and so it's early. That's the main point. Um, but I can't help but agree for the most part that uh, a win over Notre Dame should absolutely reflect some level of confidence in this team and a uh, level of confidence we should have in this team. Um, and, you know, you could say that for all these squads. I think uh, every team in uh, the top 11, 10 of uh, the ACC have had big wins against high quality NCAA tournament teams um, within the ACC. And so that's all chances for them to continue to have a good ACC season. Uh, but again, it's it's competitive towards the top and these middle of the pack teams aren't awfully competitive. So there's a bunch of different ways you can look at it. Um, and there's always going to be one win that you will you know use to ensure confidence in. But you can't forget that Virginia Tech's coming off a really, really close game against a team that they shouldn't have gone down to the wire uh, against, which is NC State. No, I mean, I'm definitely in agreement with you. And with that being said, that will certainly most likely affect yours and even affects uh, possibly affect mine a little bit of our power rankings here as we are closing towards the end of this episode. Uh, we are actually going to be keeping towards the same guidelines as we had last time. I think it's really good. And what we're going to have is we're going to have our bottom section of teams uh, that 
we don't think are going to make NCAA tournament. They're not that great of teams. They're just kind of like, okay, their teams, you, you know, it's, it's, it's the reasons that we're talking about ACC being the fifth uh, in the power five of conferences when we ranked them. Uh, then you have that middle teams. That I still think that there are questions about teams that I could see, or that we could see still getting inside the top five. Um, but you know, they aren't quite there yet. And then you have what we feel like is our personal top five. So that being said, Kyle, I believe that we should start here at the bottom of the barrel. Absolutely. I think starting off, it's kind of obvious. A one and six start in the ACC. I'm going to put Georgia Tech at number 15. Next to them, I got Pitt. Uh, Boston College and NC State, that is my bottom four. I'm going to designate them as that tier that I think um, have pretty much eliminated themselves from contention. Um, Just a really poor start, and you can't afford to make that uh, mistake in the ACC. Uh, Going forward, we have that middle section. I decided uh, I had uh, five teams that I think were competitive to be bubble squads. I think the number, uh, you know, five team the the worst team in this middle section is quite obvious i'm going to start with syracuse university um the orangemen have had a couple of quality wins they're coming off a big win right now against clemson which is another team in this section that i think is competitive for the bubble although they're on a losing streak right now um with that being said cuse is my number 11 just above them virginia tech a two-game winning streak one of them against notre dame again nc state not that impressive of a win considering it was so tight and nc state is not that good of a squad but still notre dame is a massive win because i have notre dame is a guaranteed squad to make the ncaa tournament considering they are top four top five excuse me acc uh with that being said right above them clemson they've competed with pretty much every team they've played against in the acc except for the past couple of games i don't I don't think this losing streak is kind of uh, uh, representative of really who they are as a team. After that, I got Louisville. And then my number one team in this section, uh, believe it or not, is UVA. Um, they had that name brand going for them. They're coming off a big win right now. They're five and three in the ACC, which is um, very impressive. Five wins in the ACC already. And they're 11-7 overall. I think they've given themselves a week um, out of conference schedule, which has helped them a lot. And I don't think they're as talented as they used to be, but they're a really well-managed squad. And that's why I have them at my number six or my number seven spot. Um, with that being said, going forward, I decided to go with six squads um, in this top section. I think these are all teams that are guaranteed. And I think now is the time to praise Wake Forest, the Demon Deacons. Let's give them some appreciation. They've came out of nowhere, not just in Uh, the ACC basketball, but football as well. I mean, this is just a really, really um, well-managed college. I mean, they're one of the smallest colleges, if not the smallest in the ACC, only about two and a half, 3,000 students. And now they're, you know, they've been ranked um, in basketball at one point and they were or finished ranked and had a great bowl game um, in football, you know, so the Demon Deacons have been incredibly impressive not to go off track. And that leads me to my top five. I think UNC has been weaker than usual, um, but they're still 9-0 at home, and they're going to have plenty of more home games. Uh, They're my number five squad right now. Going forward, I got Notre Dame. I think they've been incredibly competitive, and I expect them to continue to compete. Um, FSU is coming off a big win against Duke right now, but I still think Duke is just – kind of on a bad slew right now, and I expect them to be my number two. And right now I'm going to stick with Miami, Florida to be that number one squad in the ACC. 
Yeah. All right. So when I'm looking at the bottom here, uh, I think we're going to be having those kind of like same teams, but in my bottom, uh, you know, bottom of barrel teams that aren't going to be making the tournament, I have six teams. Uh, I have four questions. Um, and my six teams at the bottom of the barrel, Georgia tech and Pitt are my bottom two, uh, very similar there. But then I had, I personally had Clemson at 13. I feel like they've just kind of, um, turned over like a, like a new leaf in a bad way or you know i there's definitely a better way to say that but um you know they, they've just very much fallen off form and they have not looked like the team that we were uh viewing just like a couple weeks or like just a week ago and i mean i just don't see it i think they've got themselves out of contention at two and five in conference um but then i also have boston college north carolina state and syracuse um, I could see Syracuse possibly getting it, you know, off like a tourney or something, but like, I just, I don't really have faith in any of these teams. Uh, I mean, think about it really the win that NC state has, uh, in conference is, is either one, I think it's two, but you know, they got that VT win uh, when VT had two weeks off, um, cause of, uh, being disrupted by COVID. So I still think that that's really not a win that you should be looking at as a Wolfpack fan and being confident about it's like, yeah, we, we, we got to win against a team that hasn't played in two weeks. Nice. So I just don't have any confidence in any of those six teams to be making the tournament, let alone to have really any sort of challenge in the ACC tournament. Uh, I mean, I guess with that, time will tell. Uh, but I get into my middle four here, which is really your contenders at nine for me. I have Notre Dame. I might be a little bit cynical with this. I just don't have much faith in this Notre Dame team. Um, obviously blowing that big of a lead at Castle Coliseum, um, and being able to watch that, uh, was certainly not uh, a positive for my, uh, my putting them higher on the list of my power rankings, but I just don't think that this is like a strong team. Um, it's a team that when I watch them, they just, I don't know, they, they almost felt like some of the foul calls for them, like we're kind of keeping them in it. And it felt like that they, they weren't as imposing as we kind of made them out to be in the first half. I don't believe that their bigs are really going to compete with other bigs in the conference and like, like on off on the offensive side. And I just think that once you're really going to be starting to play like Duke and uh, FSU and Wake Forest and like those teams that have like some strong, uh, big, big men, it's, it's, it's going to start crashing down a little bit for the fighting Irish. Um, at eight, I have Virginia Tech. Uh, they are on a two-game win streak. Uh, sure, the NC State game is a little bit worrisome, but hey, they are out of their losing streak. They're out of their—they're not fully out of their rut, but they're kind of shaking off the cobweb, starting to get in a little bit of a groove. And I think there's positives to take away from both wins um, that can leave Hokie fans excited for this team's future going forward in the season, uh, not as negative as they were just about a week ago. At seven, I have Louisville at the dead middle of the pack because I just can't really, I, I, I can't find any confidence in the team. You know, like uh, I, I believe they're starting to not look as great uh, recently when I looked at their schedule. And I, I don't really think that this is like, you know, a Louisville team that we've seen in the past. This is just kind of a meh team. And originally I think I kept them in the top five because they deserve to be with where how they started. But now they kind of reach a point where it's like, you kind of understand where this team is. Maybe they can push for NCAA tournament, but I feel like a lot of it would be based off of name at this point. Uh, so we'll see. And then finally at six, uh, just outside the top five, I have UVA. 
Um, honestly, I could have ranked UVA even as low as eight. Um, and the reason I say that is because they've had some very near in like, like, like just too, way too close to wins for a Tony Bennett side, including like very recently, you're looking at uh, the Pittsburgh game that I believe was their most recent one. That was way too close of a game for a team that is as talented as UVA. Um, and they've had other games where they just haven't looked great. I mean, I talked about the Houston game earlier, uh, like just a little bit ago. Um, you obviously had the Navy game at the beginning of the season, though. Sure, I guess you can say, oh, it's the beginning of the season. But there's just something about this UVA team that throws me off and keeps me concerned. And it's just with how much, like, even these, like, not great teams are competing with them. Like, Wake Forest had a good win against the, or had a pretty good win against them at like at uh in their home stadium which i believe what was like like the first time in a long time that wake forest did that but i digress pit as i yeah. said almost beating them clemson was competitive for a bit syracuse was competitive when syracuse was on a bad roll uh clemson dominated them at one point jmu beat them this team is inconsistent to me it's not that great to me and it's a team that um most importantly is really leaning on to me, the success from what I've noticed of Gardner and Beekman, uh, I'm sure Armand Franklin is the number two scorer on the team, but I feel like when Beekman is shining, the team is shining. Um, and on top of that, Beekman has been really solid defensively from what you can see. The fact that he's averaging two steals, uh, over two steals a game is incredible. Um, and yeah, I mean, even think about it. They, they barely beat Virginia Tech, and most of the reason they beat Virginia Tech is what we've talked about on uh, this show being the issue with this team is the fact that they don't have a great interior defense and they had Kafaro have uh, they basically Kafaro was able to have a career night because he was able to just dominate the paint. And I don't think that's going to happen again uh, against Virginia Tech when you have a second look or when uh, Mike Young and his side gets a second look. So, yeah, I'm not fully sold. I could have put them lower. But top five to wrap this up. Um, I have Wake Forest. They're just kind of, they're five and three, tied with Louisville, tied with UVA, tied with a good bit of teams. I can't fully put them higher up yet. Uh, I have UNC at four. I kind of agree with you. They could be better. This could be a better team, but, you know, I, I'm, I'm actually kind of happy in, in, in a sense, almost proud of UNC in a sense for still being here uh, in the first year, their new head coach. Um, not that, you know, he was of some weird, like crazy coaching tree or anything. He was a Roy Williams assistant. I believe like he was Roy Williams assistant, but you know, it, it's still impressive nonetheless to me at three, I have FSU. They're starting to find their form. I think if they get one more big win, I'd be willing to kick them up probably even to one. Um, but they're a strong team. And I think Hamilton's really got his side clicking now. Uh, number two, I have Duke, uh, they're ranked, they're very talented and, you know, they, they have just a couple losses. So, uh, and their losses are to the other two, like top teams up there with FSU and Miami, or actually, no, they beat Miami. Gosh, I'm freaking Dukes of the loss. I digress though. Uh, and my number one is going to be the Miami hurricanes. They only have one loss that being to Duke. And I believe that was also a close game. The hurricanes seem almost impossible to stop. Uh, and it's going to be hard when they uh, roll into Blacksburg and, take on Virginia tech here next week. And it's going to be very interesting to see if this team can keep up its success. 
Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, again, it's, it's really competitive towards the top. And like I said, uh, when making the picks for the top teams in these conferences and well, just rankings in general, it's really hard to go wrong. I think any team from Wake Forest to Miami could all end up on top. And so, um, you know, again, competitive towards the top, not very competitive on that bottom half. So really no way to go wrong with that. Mm, yeah. So that's both of our power rankings. And with that being said, that is uh, the basketball episode here for the 304 Sports Podcast. Uh, obviously, it's a pleasure, Kyle, to talk with you on this. It's been very exciting. And it'll be exciting to be able to um, return here in about like maybe under a week or so's time to be able to talk more college basketball and probably have some more insane losses come because that is the world of college basketball. Uh, you'll always have something insane going on, and it's just going to be interesting to see what is next. So, again, Thank you all for listening. Thank you, Kyle, for being on. And we are going to be excited to bring you some football content here as well. Uh, and just make sure to check your uh, wherever you listen to your podcasts or whatever, really wherever you're listening to this one to stay tuned in for that episode. Uh, thank you all so very much and have a great rest of your day.